Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. Matthew chapter 1, <laughs> verse 18. There's a lot of change happening, right? Old Dustin got married last Sunday. Down there, place for life. We had a move of God down there, man. It was powerful. I'm expecting that same thing here. Say this with me. My faith is in forward. Yeah, not neutral. Forward. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. And as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child, I love this scripture, of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a, her a public example, was minded to put her away. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Two words, fear not. You know those two words are in scriptures 365 times. Fear not. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. My question to you today is what have you conceived? And who did you allow to place it there? And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, say it, Jesus. Let's say it again, Jesus. One more time, Jesus, the most powerful name in the world. At that name, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. I said, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I want you to notice something. It does not say he shall save his people from hell. It says he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Key verse is verse 21, reading from the New Intelligent Version of the Bible. Y'all just not going to laugh at nothing today, so I'm just going to keep on going. It's the New International Version for those of you who are proper this morning. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Now listen to this. 
King James Version says, for he will. But the NIV says, because. Call his name Jesus, because. He will save his people from their sins. I'm going to preach a message all day today entitled, He Will Save His People. And I need you to tell four people around you emphatically, He will save His people. Sing it one time, Jamie, just one. Come on, lift those hands. Come on, lift those hands. Jesus. Jesus. There's just something. just something. Something about Go ahead, Jane. Take your time with it. Lift your hands and worship him. Oh, you are master. You savior. You are savior. You're Jesus. Like the fragrance. I see it. After the rain. Oh, you're Jesus. Come on, clap your hands and praise him today. I need you to say it to two more people. He will save his people. And then you may be seated. I'm going to, you can go ahead and be seated. I'm going to do something that I feel like I need to do. And then I'm going to get right into this. When I was thinking about uh, this word on the way to church today, um, I thought I heard the Lord tell me, show them, tell them, and then show them what you told them. And I thought of that, and I thought, well, now, Lord, I haven't called anyone to come forward that has acting skills, so this is going to be a spontaneous move. And I'm going to need you to help me with it. So what I need is a couple of guys to come up here. Chief, if you would come up here. and uh, there, there you go, Chief. Come on, Chief. That took a while for you to get out that chair. But that's all right. I'll wait on you. Uh, is, Josh, is Pastor Josh still in here? Is he gone? Pastor Josh, come on up here. These guys have no idea what I'm about to do. But... Um, we're certainly not going to give Chief any glory for what the Bulldogs did to LSU last week. I want you to take your opportunity. That's good. Now, come on back over here. All right. Um, I need one more guy. Just any guy here that will come up here. And, okay, Maverick, you'll work. Come on, Top Gun. All right. Mary, you're gonna be, you're gonna come with me, come over here, and then um, Chief and Josh, you're gonna go over there. All right. So when I saw this, 
In verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1, the Bible says, He will save his people. You know, somehow, I think Christians get into a pattern or a mindset, better word, of thinking that he might save us. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? It's like, if I can just work hard enough, he might be kind enough to save us. And none of that vocabulary is even in the message, from the message. He didn't say none of that. He didn't say, if you are good enough, he will save you. If you try hard enough, he will save you. His people. No, it just says, call his name Jesus. For he, and if I could just say anything, I would say absolutely will. He will save his people from their sins. And that's the thing you fight with all the time. Never equate the power of sin to the power of salvation. I'm going to say it again for, for you hardliners, for you religious people. Never equate the power of sin to the power of salvation. Sin does not have the power of salvation. If you believe it, I double dog dare you to give God a big praise. Sin cannot compete with salvation. So when I saw that, come here, Mav, you're going to be my, I'm going to use you as my illustration. The Lord told me, when I save my people, I save them out of something. I save them from something. And I'll save the other one for just a moment. Y'all go, come out here. If he saved, y'all are trouble. <laughs> Did you notice I didn't say sin? Many times God will deliver you from something. What does that mean? He sees something coming for you. He sees something coming at you. And he saves you from something that's coming after you. Has he ever done that for anybody in this building? You woke up one day and you said, if I wouldn't have made that decision. God saved me out of that relationship. Because I see now how he treats his wife. I better leave that alone. He saves you from something. Now, come on over here, guys. Come here, man. And then many times you will get yourself in a mess. You will take your eyes off Jesus, just like Simon Peter, and you begin to sink because you're looking at the storm. 
But the Bible says Simon Peter cried out, Lord, what did he say? Save me. He didn't save him from it. He saved him out of it. Has anyone in this building ever been saved out of a situation? You were laying on your sick bed. You better talk back to me. Almost dead. And God saved you out of a disease. Oh, Lord have mercy. Man, I'm feeling that thing right there. I believe God's going to do it for somebody even this week. He's going to save you from stuff. He's going to save you out of stuff. If you believe it, give God 10 seconds of crazy praise. Come on. He's going to do it. He will save his people. Woo! Glory to your name, Jesus. But the last thing, whoo, come here, man. This is where frustration sets in. We rejoice when we find out he saved us from it. Hello? We really rejoice when we find out he saved us out of it. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'll leave it alone. But this is where frustration sets in. When he saves you for something. Y'all ain't hearing me. Y'all not hearing me. Many of you get frustrated, not with problems and trouble and all that. You get frustrated with waiting on God. And many times his saving power doesn't just work in deliverance. It works for your destiny in the way of you waiting for a thing to happen. And God says, no, it's not time. Let me help you. When you force what it's not time for, you will always end up in frustration. Mordecai told Esther, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I came by to tell somebody in this building, celebrate in your waiting season. Celebrate while you're on hold. Celebrate while God is telling you to be patient. Your promise is coming. It might not be here. Your partner might not be at your door, but just wait on God because God is saving you for the right person. He's saving you for the right place. He's saving you for the right opportunity. Boy, I wish I had some people that wanted to hear from God today. Hey! If it's not here, and you don't have it, then God is saving you for it. Okay, guys, give my guys a hand. Thank y'all for helping me. He saves you out. He saves you from. He saves you for. Glory to God. He's in the saving business. You ever looked at some of your friends and said, you need saving? Never a truer word had been spoken. 
We all need saving. But when I looked at this passage of scripture, and I'm going to read it to you like I wrote it down. It's in this look at the dialogue of deliverance that the angel speaks to Joseph in a dream. Somehow, scripturally, the name Joseph is tied to dreams. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Joseph in the Old Testament is a dreamer. Joseph in the New Testament is a dreamer. This is going to be the first of four dreams given to Joseph in the New Testament. And I call the Joseph of the New Testament the guardian of grace. The Joseph in the New Testament is the guardian of grace. So the angel or the messenger relays to him a forecast to be fulfilled. And he does it in three words. In three words. He lists the one essential assignment of this miracle baby in three words. These three words fit strategically in the script. Yet they stand out with precise prophetic power. What are the three words? He will save. Now I want you to say it with conviction. Come on. He will save. One more time for the sake of context. Say it. He will When I saw that, I wrote these words. There's no room for negotiation in these three words. He will save. There's no compromise in this conclusion. He will save. There's no opportunity for error. He will save. There's no miscommunication in the mission. He will save. There's no sidestepping the statement. He will save. Woo. So with emphatic explanation, the messenger states three words. Say it. Glory to God. It's an order from heaven. He not only tells Joseph what he will do, but he tells Joseph who he's going to do it for. <laughs> he describes with pinpoint accuracy who he will save and what he will save them from. Good God and mercy. Good God have mercy. The purpose of the Savior is described in diverse and different ways in Scripture. The purpose of him being made manifest is expressed by the Apostle John in 1 John. Boy, I feel like preaching today. I was going to talk to y'all, but I feel a preach coming in. 1 John 3, 8. The apostle says, he that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. What did he come to save you from? Your sins, yeah. For this purpose was the Son of God made manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The word manifested there means to make known that which was unknown. <laughs> to be visible or seen. 
to recognize and to understand. Therefore, we can say the specific purpose of him, Jesus, being made manifest, seen, recognized, and understood was to masterfully destroy the works of the devil. Why did he come and why did he manifest? To destroy the works of the devil. A baby in a cradle with a mission in his eyes. I have come whew, to destroy the works of the devil. Well, we just read the works of the devil is the manifestation of sins in people's lives. The consequence of sin, the consequence of sin is death. Good God of mercy. He came with an assignment to destroy the works of the devil. The purpose of his mission statement. He didn't let John describe that. He took that on himself. When he came back from fighting that same devil and defeating him in the wilderness, he returned to the temple and he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and he found the place where it was written in Luke 4 and verse number 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Here's my mission. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Here's my mission. He has sent me to preach deliverance to the captives. Here's my mission. He has sent me to preach recovery of sight to the blind. Here's my mission to set at liberty them that are bruised. He has sent me to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And the Bible says he closed the book and he sat down. My Lord. My question is, where did John's insight come from? Hmm. What was the inspiration behind Jesus' mission statement? Both the insight and the inspiration is found in his mandate. Talk back to me, church. The manifestation and the mission both find themselves wrapped in a three-word announcement from a heavenly agent. Who Lord. He will save. The mission. And the mandate. Good God have mercy. He will save. His people. From their sins. Can I keep, keep preaching y'all. Just for the next three hours. That's it. He will save his people. Read it in the Greek. He will save a people. So I studied it. It's not just one's own populace. He didn't say that. It's not just the public. It's not just those bound together socially. He will save a people. A people that will become his people. Oh, help us transition, Lord. Help them see this. Hebrews 8.10 says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of God, the house of Israel, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind and write the laws in their hearts, and I will be unto them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Are y'all with me? He shall save a people. 
First Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar, peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past you were not a people. You were not a people, but are now the people of God. You were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not, listen carefully, obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. So the difference in not being the people of God to being the people of God is that you've obtained mercy. We did not become the people of God by attaining mercy. We became the people of God by obtaining mercy. To attain something means you've done it as way of achievement. You cannot attain mercy. If you could attain it, that means you can earn it. I'm going to keep preaching like you're listening. But you cannot earn mercy. This is going to shatter your religious tradition. You cannot earn mercy. You cannot earn mercy. You cannot earn mercy. What we cannot attain by effort, we obtain by a savior. But now you're the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have Obtain mercy. What's the key word? The key word is mercy. I'm going to keep working this. To obtain it means to hold on to something you've received in order to carry it and use it. You didn't earn mercy. You received mercy. Hebrews 4.16 Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain, not attain, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Micah the prophet said it like this. He hath shown thee, O man, what is good and what he requires of you. Do justly and what? Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. I'm about done, but not quite because so far I've only slapped the devil in the face. Before I'm done, I'm going to kick the devil out your life because you're going to know that you serve a saving God. Three words. He will save. Four words. Who will he save? I just told you those who have obtained mercy. Those who love mercy, he will save. Those who know they have not earned mercy, he will save. Come on in this building. Those who carry mercy and use mercy, he will save. I am convinced that the transition from being a people to becoming the people to becoming his people is the ability to appreciate mercy and apply mercy. 
I am convinced that the transition from becoming a people to the people to his people is the ability to appreciate mercy and apply mercy. There ain't nothing worse than an unmerciful somebody. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Judge not, lest you be judged. To him that shows mercy, he shall receive mercy. It ain't easy to, de, 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 uh, to, to um, I want to say it, to notice. It's not easy to distinguish, there's the word, the people of God. The real people of God are merciful people. Boy, I just quieted now. Because some of y'all mean as hell. But I'm going to talk to the merciful people. Talk to the merciful people. Talk to the merciful people. Because you don't want nothing to do with mercy until you need mercy. You think your meanness is the deciding factor in someone making it and not making it. Sooner or later, you're going to get a clue that most people don't give a snot about your opinion. Boy, them little old claps are turning into pitter-patters, but I'm going to keep preaching because y'all need to stop being mean and start being merciful because it's going to be a day you're going to need mercy and you're not going to want nobody being mean. Even a blind man knows the difference. He didn't even ask God for healing. He asked the Lord for mercy. He said, blind Bartimaeus said, son of David, have mercy on me. If you would stop asking for miracles and start asking for mercy, you would receive healing and wholeness. I'm going to give you five sanctified seconds to think about it and give God praise. You serve a merciful God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall see the kingdom of God. The angel said, he will save his people. What people? The people who appreciate mercy and the people who apply mercy. You mean, Pastor Rick, that's what makes us the people of God? Yes, you mean thing, you? If God is merciful, then why do you think you shouldn't be merciful? Yeah, but he messed up. So did you. Preach in the building, Pastor Rick Hawkins. Choose mercy. Appreciate it and apply it. That makes you his people. And he shall save his people from their sins. The angel said it. He didn't say any people. He said his people. I'll stop. Or should I keep going? All right, that's all I need to hear. He shall save not any people, not all the people, 
Well, that hit there. He didn't say he will save all the people. He said he will save. He didn't say he'll save any people. He'll save from their what? Sins. Now we're understanding the rivals. Sin, you know, what does it mean? Come on, all you theologians. That's right. Everybody knows it. You sin? Buddy, you missed the mark. Like that is some deep, profound, and you expect them to go, oh my God, I missed the mark. I'm going to extract the strength of sin from your mind. Y'all think, y'all have blown up sin. You need to run around wearing a Superman suit with that big old ass on it. That's how y'all see sin. Don't let sin get in the telephone booth. Save his people from their sins. Well, if they are his people, that tells me they already saved. Hello. It don't just mean miss the mark. It means miss sharing in the prize. Sin. To miss the path or wander from the path. Sin. To miss the path. To wander from the path. Let's all face it. We have a common denominator in this room. We have all missed the path. We've all at times wandered from the path. Except you angelic hosts that are sitting in the seats today. 1 John 1 verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are lying and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Not after you walked, but while you walk it. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Boy, this, this atmosphere is going... If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins. Let me tell you something. You ain't never going to confess something you don't think you've done. I don't know what y'all are, but I'm all confessing some buck. You think you're going to sin and God ain't going to see it? And all he asks you to do is just tell him. Just confess it. Don't act like you didn't do it. Woo! Buddy, me and God, we have a conversation and a confessing session. About every day. Lord, I love you. I worship you. I need to tell you a few things. 
I know you already know, but you told me to tell you. So I'm only telling you because you told me to tell you. But yesterday I said at least five bad words. And Lord, if it was six, I'm going to ask you to forgive me that too because I forgot that six. Boy, y'all are so saved. I'm amazed at y'all. But you say, well, I didn't say anything when it was in your mind. I think he said if you look at a woman in lust. He didn't say if you commit it. Some of y'all, y'all replaying your tape and you think, whoo, I got a lot of confessing to do. I wonder if you would confess everything that's on your hard drive. If we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Not the sins before you got saved. This is where it's going to get sticky. The theologians' minds are working right now. Good. Go ahead. I can see smoke coming out of your ears. Let them wheels burn, baby, because I know as good as you know you did some sinning this week. And I hope you did some confessing right behind it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. If we say we have not sinned, his word is not in us. He saves you. Here's what you got to get. He didn't just save you from hell when you were born again. He saves you from sins. I'm looking at all y'all. What sins? The sins you fight every day. That's why the Bible says, let us lay aside. Every weight and the sin, listen to the rest of it, that does so easily beset us. The mission of sin is not to send you to hell. The mission of sin is to delay your purpose. The mission of sin is to keep you missing the mark. To keep you missing the path. That's not sending you to hell. It's just slowing down the progress of your purpose. Sin is not as powerful as you think it is. All you have to do with sin is confess it to the Lord and ask him to forgive you and cleanse you. Some of y'all ought to be on your knees right now saying, God, cleanse me. That holier-than-thou attitude is taking a butt-kicking this morning in church. He will save his people from their sins. Good Lord. Whew. What does it mean to save? He will protect and preserve. That's what it means. Job twenty-two twenty-nine. When men are cast down, they say there is a lifting up. And he will save that humble person. He will save that what? Humble person. What humble person? That's been cast down. 
that can say, I will come back. There is a lifting up. He will save you. But if you sin and you're cast down and you can't confess that God will bring you back, then people are going to keep kicking you, throwing dirt on you, casting you out, and rejecting you. You've got to say, I'm down, but I'm getting up. Isaiah 33, 22. For the Lord is our judge, not people. The Lord is our lawgiver, not people. The Lord is our king, not people. And the Lord will save us. Zephaniah 3.17, I'm not done with you. The Lord your God in the midst of thee is mighty warrior. He will save. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over you with singing. What will he do? He will, the Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. He will save. Quit acting like God's not going to get you out of it. Quit acting like you're not sure if you can get back up again. Quit acting like you're not sure that you're going to live your purpose out in life. Quit acting like you're not going to make it. Get up and say, God is in the midst of me and he is mighty to save and he will save me. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my fortress, he is my God, in him will I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler snare and from the deadly pestilence. Surely, absolutely, guaranteed, he will save you. What? The fowler snare. A fowler snare is a bird trap. The picture is a bird that comes down in the trap. And right before the trap closes, the bird escapes. That's why the writer says, my soul escaped like a bird out of the snare of the fowler. He will save you in the nick of time right before you're trapped. Right before it grabs you, God saves you. Tell your neighbor, I might leave behind some tail feathers, but I'm going to get out the trap because God will save me. How many of you can say, he almost got me? The devil almost had me. But just in the nick of time, I can't believe this place ain't going crazy, right? Let me preach this in another country. My God, you need to know. He will save. I dare you to throw your hands up and scream it. He will. He will. He will. Woo. I'm going to stop. To protect, to say he will save, he will protect and preserve his people. Of all the definitions, 
Josh, I love how you like this word. If I was here last week, I think I would be doing what you're doing. Of all the definitions of the word save in the Bible, the most common and accurate definition for the word save is deliver. He shall deliver his. Tell your neighbor, that's me. That's me. He will deliver his people. He's so adamant about it that the word deliver is in the Bible. Are you ready for it? 595 times does the Bible talk about God delivering you. Boy, and you ought to study it because it has to do with this. He will snatch you. You know what I pray for you this morning? God snatch him. Whew. My mama used to say that, Ricky, I'm going to snatch you by the nap of your neck. She wasn't talking about saving, no. He will deliver you 595 times. Could that be why Paul wrote this? Think about it. You can remain standing. I'm, I'm done. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I think that's why Paul wrote this. We had a sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves. You can't save yourself. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. Good God. Even if you're dead, he's going to bring you back. Woo. Who, watch what he says, verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death. That's when you were born again. Are y'all tracking with me? He delivered you from that great death. That's when you were born again. He delivered you. He saved you. Anybody in here remember that day? He delivered us. Watch what the next part says. And does deliver us. He didn't just save you. He keeps on saving you. He didn't just save you. He keeps on saving you. Man, if he didn't do that for me, I don't know where I'd be. He didn't just save me, Butch. He keeps on saving me. He has delivered me. He does deliver me. And I trust he will yet deliver me. The one who endures to the end will be saved. So we were saved when we were saved. We are being saved all the time. And then we're going to be saved. Tell your neighbor, I'm saved more than anything else. I'm saved more than anything. I am saved. I was saved. I am saved. I will be saved. I was saved. I am saved. I will be saved. I was saved. I am saved. I will be saved. And I was thinking about all of God's institutions of salvation. Noah, build an ark because I'm going to save 
the human race. Moses' rod stretched over a sea. Without a rod, the people of God are not saved. Samson's strength. Institutions of salvation. Instruments of salvation. Gideon's 300. Esther's obedience. David's rock. Christ's cross. I heard a song the other day that says, he's got a way of saving. I don't care if it's a rock, an ark, a rod, a friend. God's got a way of saving. He has saved. He does save. He will save. But let me tell you what he's best at. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. He's best at saving what is missing. Well, that's good there, John. He's best at saving what is missing. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to what? He will say that which was lost. You lost it. Sweep the whole house to find one coin. He'll leave the 99 to find one sheep. He'll stand on the porch for one son to seek and to save that which was lost. Study it in the Greek. The word lost means misposition. They not where they supposed to be. Some of you think your children, your spouse, somebody you love is on a road to eternal damnation and you say they lost. That's a perfect position for Jesus to save them. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Don't you give up on your son. Don't you give up on your daughter. Don't you give up on your spouse. Don't you give up on your children. Don't you give up on your mama and your daddy. Don't give up on your cousin. God came in flesh to seek and save that which was lost. Now let me finish. 1 Timothy 4. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And this is what we labor and strive for. That we have put our hope in a living God who, listen to it carefully, who is the Savior of all men. But he doesn't stop. He says, especially those who believe. that tells me is this right here. He's the savior of all men potentially. But he's the savior of all believers positively. He's the savior of all men potentially. He's the savior of all believers positively. God is good, and he's good all the time. Lift your hands, please.